0: Verses 22 through 36. And you can also find that passage in the few Bibles in front of you on page 891. John chapter 6, starting in verse 22. what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus, an- Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He has sent. So they said to Him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, But I said this to you, that you have seen me and yet do not believe. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you today. Um, Many of us here come uh, hungry for you. Others come distracted and, and with so many things on their minds right now and, and uh, wanting to focus on You. And, and there's some here today that perhaps um, uh, they, uh, they don't have hunger yet for You. We ask, Lord Jesus, that uh, through Your Word and by Your Spirit's power today, that we all would hunger for You and receive You by faith and, and walk by faith. Lord Jesus, uh, we uh, give you this time, and uh, we ask that right now we would hear from you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my favorite movies growing up as a kid uh, was uh, the movie Hook by Steven Spielberg. It's a story of Peter Pan, played by Robin Williams. Who uh, He he leaves Neverland and he comes into our world, uh, but he's a grown-up. He has uh, a couple of children, uh, and he works a a very important business job that is very time-consuming and takes away from his family. He's also forgotten who he is and where he's come from. Captain Hook, on the other hand, Peter Pan's infamous rival, has not forgotten about him. And, uh, and, and he seeks revenge by kidnapping Peter Pan's children and bringing them to Neverland in order to provoke him to come back so he might fight him. So Peter, he eventually turns to Neverland with the help of Tinkerbell, and uh, he reunites with lost boys who haven't grown up a bit. Then there's one really interesting scene. It's right before the famous uh, food fight scene. Um, it's uh, it's, it's supper time. And Peter is famished. He hasn't eaten yet. The Lost Boys, they lay out a huge table with many covered pots and covered plates. But when all the covers uh, and tops come off, Peter doesn't see any food. Every pot and pan is empty to his great dismay. He watches in bewilderment as the Lost Boys greedily grab at nothing and stuff their faces. Everyone seems to be feasting except for Peter Pan. Tinkerbell invites him to eat. Uh, But Peter, now getting very angry, yells out, Eat what? There's nothing here. Even Gandhi ate more than this. It's not until Peter uses his imagination that all of a sudden he can see that there really is a feast laid out before him. Huge turkey legs, pies of all colors, exotic fruits, huge blocks of cheese, these mysterious frothy drinks. He begins to feast and this becomes a turning point for him in remembering who he was and what he must do to rescue his children. When we come to church on Sundays, there are lost boys and there are Peter Pans. In other words, there are those who feast and then there are those who don't feast. They don't even see the feast. So who are you? Are you like the Lost Boys or Peter Pan? Do you, do you feast on Sundays? Or do you watch other people feast on what seems to be figments of their own imaginations? Do you come hungry and ready to feed on Christ and receive all His promises and all His benefits? Or are you here to sing songs, listen to an inspiring message, give to a charitable organization, catch up with friends and family, enjoy a cup of coffee? Or maybe you're like me, and you often come to church distracted. Uh, maybe you're thinking about the kids, <laughs> getting them all settled. And, or maybe uh, you're, you're thinking about the Vikings. Uh, maybe you're thinking about uh, work tomorrow, Monday, what, do you, what you're coming into. Um, uh, maybe, maybe you're just thinking about, okay, who, who do I need to touch base with after the service? And you're, you're, not, you're not focused yet on believing on Christ and receiving all that He has for you during the service. In John 6, Jesus offers himself to us as a feast, as the bread of life that will forever satisfy us. So today we'll, we'll first see how Jesus exposes sinful hunger in our hearts, and then we'll consider how Jesus satisfies spiritual hunger. Before we go into the text, uh, here's a quote that's often attributed to Martin Luther. It's, uh, we are all mere beggars, showing other beggars where to find bread. Says the preacher today, I don't make the meal for you to feast on. Instead, I'm a mere beggar who has found bread, the only satisfying and life-giving bread. And today I'll share that bread with you. It's real bread, not our imaginations. Let's first start where Jesus starts, uh, not with spiritual bread, but with plain old physical bread. Now, homemade bread is my favorite food. <laughs> if, if I were to have anything in the world, it would be fresh bread straight out of the oven. I don't think there's anything better than it. Uh, so please look with me at John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. John chapter 6. Uh, starting in verse 1-15, uh, through 15, that section. Uh, this chapter, it begins with one of Jesus' most famous miracles. And if you're here today, and, and if you didn't grow up in the church, or, or you're just visiting, um, you may have already even heard about this miracle, because uh, it's that famous. It's, it's the feeding of over 5,000 people with just five loaves of bread and two fish. This miracle, it's in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But what's particularly interesting about John's account of it is that he connects this miracle of physical bread with Jesus offering of himself as an even better bread. So, how did the crowds respond to Jesus after he he performed this great miracle? Look at verses 14 and 15. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. The crowds see clearly that that Jesus is the prophet that was prophesied about by Moses in Deuteronomy 18. But something wasn't right about all this. And Jesus perceived that the crowd was going to take him by force and make him their king. Hey, what's wrong with that, Uh, you might ask? Isn't Jesus their king? Yes, the Jews had the right king, but they had the wrong kingdom. Jesus' kingdom was not a geopolitical nation whose goal was to be freed from Roman rule. Jesus' kingdom is global, and it spans across all time, and its goal is to proclaim the gospel of freedom from sin and Satan, not from some government. The right king, but the wrong kingdom. So after satisfying the earthly hunger of the crowds, Jesus left them for solitude. Now let's skip down a few verses, uh, down to verse 22. So we'll skip over how uh, when Jesus walks on, uh, walks on water, He walks on the Sea of Galilee. So we'll skip over that down to verse 22. Here we're going to see that Jesus exposes sinful hunger. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord Jesus had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, You are seeking me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Jesus had isolated himself from the crowds for a night, but the next day they were eagerly uh, seeking after him once again. They were confused as to how Jesus made to the other side of the sea, so they naturally asked him about it. But Jesus didn't want to explain how he had walked across the sea. He wanted to expose their heart's sinful motivations. He went straight for the heart. He wanted to show them that what they were truly hungry for would not satisfy them for long. And He wanted to offer them something far better. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking Me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Why were the crowds following Jesus? Were they seeking to see a sign that would confirm that Jesus was the Messiah so that they might believe in Him and follow Him? No. They saw Jesus because they had just had their stomachs filled the day before. Now their stomachs were empty. It's that simple. They were physically hungry. Jesus exposes the human heart here that behind people's motivations people's decisions uh, to follow after jesus Uh, there are often sinful motivations sinful hungers not everyone follows after jesus out of faith pastor and author tim keller says that there are three types of people in this world first there there are those who follow who do not follow christ at all either in word or deed so if they don't say they're christians they don't pretend to be christians then there are those who follow Christ for their own sake, for their own self-centered benefit. And then there are those who follow Christ for His sake and His sake alone. Which person are you? I'm not asking which person is the person sitting next to you, but which person are you? Which person do you want to be? To help us discern our hearts let's, uh, let's consider some of the different sinful motives uh, that people can have for following Christ uh, even us who are Christians we, we can have sinful motives that rise up for why we do what we do, why we come to church on a particular Sunday in a day and age when it's still somewhat where it's still legal and still somewhat popular to be a Christian there can be many reasons why it's advantageous for people to follow Jesus or to go to church for their own sake so why do people go to church in, uh, in 2017 the Pew Research Center uh, surveyed over 4,700 American adults about the main reason why they attend religious services among those who attend church at least once or twice a month here are the 10 most important reasons why they go starting from lesser to greater uh, the less than 1% responded that the most important reason why they attend religious services is to meet new people and to socialize. 1% said uh, that they have a religious obligation to go. 2% attend to continue the family traditions. Another 2% attend to please their family, spouse, or partner. 4% responded that the, the sermons are the most important reason they attend. Another 4% attend uh, to raise their uh, children morally. They want good kids. 5% attend for comfort in tough times. Uh, 6% to be a part of a community of faith. 8% to be a better person. And uh, the number one reason, at a whopping 61%, the top reason why people attend services is to become closer to God. So, as you can see, uh, people attend church for all sorts of reasons, uh, and there are more reasons than this, of course, uh, and almost all of them seem to be for some kind of a self serving reason so let 's think through some of those uh, some of the reasons we just heard. What are the sinful hungers behind those reasons, and are they in our hearts so when, when people go to church for the main reason of of, uh, of, of socializing, it, it, it might show that they have a sinful hunger for relationships. Now obviously relationships are not a bad thing, right? Um, they're very important for us. But when they become the reason why we follow after Christ, the reason why we attend church, that's, uh, that just shows that you're using Jesus to get relationships. And Jesus says that that is not faith. <coughs> When people go to church uh, to continue family traditions, they have a sinful hunger for perhaps sentimental feelings, for history, for predictable patterns of life. When people follow Jesus to raise their children with morals or for themselves to become better people, they have a sinful hunger for self-righteousness and for, for personal image, to present themselves in a, in a, in a, in a better light before other people. Jesus is perhaps just a moral teacher for them. When people follow Jesus mainly for for comfort in difficult times, the question I would ask is, do they stop following once the times get better? That might indicate a sinful hunger for a peaceful, pain-free, stress-free life. Maybe Jesus is just a Santa Claus that uh, gives you what you want. Or maybe he's a handyman that that, that you call on uh, when you need your problems fixed. There are many other reasons why people follow Jesus for their own sake. Jesus knew this to be true for the crowds that were following. And, believe it or not, he knew this to be true for his own biological brothers. Look over in the very next chapter, uh, John chapter 7. Verses 2 through 5. John 7, 2 through 5. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Now check this verse out, verse 5 for not even his brothers believed in him. Wow. <laughs> That's very interesting, isn't it? You would think that if his brothers were encouraging him to do more miracles and have a more public ministry, that uh, that they would be that they believe in him. But verse 5 leaves no doubt that they were encouraging him to become more popular because they did not believe in him. Jesus' brothers at this time we do know that some of them did come to, to true faith, if not all of them, I don't know. Uh, but Jesus' brothers, brothers at this time did not receive and rest on Jesus as their Savior. No, they were receiving and resting on Him as their brother who had supernatural power. They knew that if, if Jesus got popular, they would reap the benefits of being known as Jesus' brother. Oh, hey, oh, aren't you Jesus' brother? Oh, he does a lot of miracles. Tell me about him. Tell me about you. So Jesus' brothers at this point, they had, they had sinful hunger for popularity. And in a day and age uh, in America here, when, like I said, Christianity can still be somewhat popular, there can be very popular music artists and popular preachers. I mean, is it no surprise to us that, that often many who are very popular within Christianity leave the Christian faith? I mean, even this year we've already seen that happen with uh, some very high-profile people. So I ask once again, which person are you? Are you religious for the side benefits Jesus gives you? Here's a helpful diagnostic question for your heart. If following Christ meant losing some of the things that you enjoy about being a Christian, would you still follow Him? The Lord Jesus sees the depths of our hearts and He exposes our sinful hungers. And we all have them. Even as Christians, we've got these different reasons why we do things, and we, there's sometimes sinful motivations, just even as Christians, that are behind why we do what we do. It gets messy. But He doesn't leave us to just wallow in our sinfulness and, 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 and our entangled motivations. He offers to each one of us something of infinite value. For free, the bread of life. Look with me now at John 6, verses 27 through 34. John 6, verse 27. Here we see that Jesus satisfies spiritual hunger. We'll first consider how we are to eat of Christ for the very first time in order to receive eternal life. And then we'll consider how we are to regularly feast on Christ as a church body when we gather together on the Lord's Day. So follow along with me verse by verse here, uh, starting verse 27. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on Him God the Father has set His seal. Jesus knew that the crowd was hungry for earthly food and willing to work hard to get it or to at least persuade Jesus to do another miracle. Jesus commands us uh, to not work for food that perishes but for food that endures to eternal life. Now, he doesn't mean that we shouldn't have jobs and buy food at the grocery store. That's not what he's talking about. He means that our life's greatest goals and aspirations and desires should be fixed on much greater things than putting bread on the table and on just meeting our basic needs. Jesus wants us to set our minds on heavenly matters of infinite worth, not on earthly things that are gone tomorrow. Also, take notice that this food endures to eternal life. Once you eat of it, it's so nutritious that you will live forever. You can never fully digest it or fully extract all the nutrients from it. There is no greater bread. Verse 28, Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Now notice the word works here. It's it's plural. We're going to come back to that, but remember that for now. The Jews, they they liked the sound of this type of food. So they asked Jesus uh, what what works they must do to get this type of bread. Naturally, they they thought they must do something to, to buy the bread or to earn it. Verse 29, Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. The Jews asked what works they should do. And Jesus only gives them one work, and it is a work that is not a work at all. They are to believe in Him. Jesus clearly teaches here that we are saved by faith alone, not by good works. Martin Luther didn't invent the doctrine of salvation by faith alone, and the Apostle Paul didn't invent it either. We see it right here. We don't complement our faith With our works in order to be fit enough to receive the bread of life. You know, look, God, hey, I shaped my life up a little bit, now can I have the bread? That's not how it works. Faith is sufficient to receive eternal life. Verse 30, so they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? Uh, What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Here we see that the Jews still want one thing. Physical bread for their stomachs. They're trying to manipulate Jesus into performing another miracle, hopefully one involving food, saying that they would believe him if he would do a miracle. So they're bartering. If you give us a sign, then we'll give you the faith you're looking for. They're also smart enough to, to quote scripture making a reference to how the Israelites were given manna in the wilderness. They want a sign like that. But Jesus is not so easily manipulated, is he? The Jews are so fickle, aren't they? I mean, just think about it. It was, it was only the day before that they were convinced that he was the prophet that Moses prophesied about. And they were ready to make him king. And now, the very next day, They're back to just needing a sign from Him to confirm whether they should believe Him or not. Miracles don't always convince people. (laughs) This clearly shows they did not want a Savior. They just wanted something to fill fill their stomachs. Verse 32, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, But my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to Him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus now teaches that, that His Father is giving to them a bread that was better than the manna the Israelites got. It is a bread that truly comes from heaven itself. In fact, the bread is a person who has come down from heaven. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This is Jesus' clearest statement. He is the bread of life. He freely offers himself to all without distinction. Whoever comes to me, You can come to Jesus. You can feast upon Jesus. You can satisfy your soul's hunger and thirst through faith in Jesus. His body was broken like bread so that you could eat of His death. And His uh, body was raised to life so that you could eat of His eternal life. When you feed on Christ, when you believe on Christ... When you rest on Christ, when you are satisfied in Christ's work on the cross for you, you receive not only Him, but also all of His promises and all of His benefits and all of His privileges as the Son of God. To push the bread metaphor one step further, when you eat of the bread of life, what nutrients do you receive from it? What, in a sense, do you spiritually digest? You receive the nutrients of redemption and forgiveness from your sins. You receive new life, what we call regeneration. You receive a right standing before God where you are declared sinless and righteous with the righteousness of Christ. We call that justification. You receive growth in Christ-likeness throughout your entire life what we call sanctification, or growing in holiness, growing in a holy character in the image of Christ. You receive all the rights and privileges as a son of God, as an heir to an eternal inheritance. We call that adoption. And one day, you receive from this bread complete sinlessness and perfection forever at our resurrection and glorification. You get all of these benefits guaranteed to you with your very first bite of faith. There are also uh, more spiritual nutrients that this bread brings. There's hope. There's peace of conscience because you're not guilty anymore. There's assurance of salvation, joy, increase of grace, perseverance, the fruits and gifts of the Spirit, wisdom, and more. You can never fully digest the bread of life or fully extract all the nutrients from Him. When you receive Jesus, you receive Him and all His benefits. Praise God. Could this great offer truly be free? Yes. God is glorified in being gracious to us. If you've never received Christ... God invites you to His table today, right here. There is a feast laid out before each one of us here right now. It is Him. And here are His words of invitation to every single person in this room. His words of invitation from Isaiah 55. So just hear and come. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk, without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And why and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon Come to Jesus as a beggar and receive freely. Feast on Christ. Turn away from His sinful thoughts and ways. God will abundantly pardon you and have compassion upon you because of the work of Christ. He will satisfy you with Himself. So how will you respond to Jesus? I want to speak briefly now to believers about how we are to regularly feast on Christ as we gather uh, to worship on the Lord's Day. First, we should regularly feast on Christ as sinners in need of a Savior. Remember, who did Jesus eat with? Did He eat with the righteous people, the people that had it all together? No, He ate with sinners. Tax collectors and sinners. So to sit at Jesus' table... To receive Him, we must come humbly to Him as those who are sinners saved by grace, not deserving to sit at His table and commune with Him, but as those who were once His enemies, who used to follow after our own sinful hungers and binged on the world. So come regularly to feed on Christ as a sinner saved by grace. That's the disposition we are to come with. Hungry, recognizing that we are sinners. Second, it can seem a little odd to think about feeding on Christ again and again as a Christian, because when you believe on him for the first time, you always have him, and you never lose him. So how do you keep feeding on something that you've already fed on and you haven't lost? Well, so as Christians, when we come to feed on Christ in the worship service, we come to strengthen our faith. To, in a sense, digest more nutrients from Christ, to be enriched by His benefits more and more, to receive more grace from Him, to grow in greater assurance and love and peace and joy and hope, and to have greater, greater clarity as to how we might die to sin, how we might kill sin, and how we might live to righteousness and grow in being fruitful with good works. When we sing in worship, we can feast on Christ as we meditate through song on His greatness and His goodness toward us. And we can feast on Christ even if we don't know the tune or if we don't even like it. When we confess our sin, we can feast on Christ's promise of forgiveness. We can, in a sense, drink of His blood that cleanses us. When we hear the sermon preached, we can live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord and remember all that Christ has accomplished for you with His perfect life and His atoning death for our sins. And as we fellowship with one another and love each other, let's feast on Christ by by remembering that we are all His body and He is our head, working through each of us to build each other up, to unite us together with one heart and one mind I believe that if we have the goal of feeding on Christ as we enter into worship each Sunday we will complain far less about how the church doesn't have this or that program or or doesn't do things according to our own personal preferences when our hearts come to feast on Christ our mouths are not full of complaints but full of thanksgiving, prayer, and rejoicing. So brothers and sisters, as as, as we gather uh, to worship this next year, in 2020, let us stay focused on what's most important when we come to worship, that we feast on Christ through faith, and that we offer Him freely to all. Let's pray. <coughs> Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. O Lord, we've come today and we've been reminded from You that You are the bread of life. And when we receive you, we receive not only you, but all of your benefits. All of these blessings, all of the promises are ours in you. We praise you, Lord Jesus, for that. And we ask, Jesus, that each person here would hunger for you, would thirst for you. And that each person here, that that our worldly hungers that we're born with, that those would then turn away, that would lessen and decrease and, 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 and be put to death and exchanged with a love for you, a hunger for you, a faith in you. We ask this all now in Jesus' name. Amen.